Hey folks, this is the Love of Cinema podcast. We like to talk movies. If you like to talk movies too, you come to the right place. I may be like all of in my 20s, right? In my mid 20s. This is Amitabh Bachchan, possibly the most famous man in the world. and i go into his room and it's him and me and suddenly it seems like i have the power because i am going to be asking the questions it's you know while it's an unequal relationship otherwise it suddenly becomes an equal relationship because it's a conversation where i am interested in listening to that person Hey everyone. My name is Himanshu and this is the Love of Cinema podcast. Imagine you're a relatively new film journalist and you have landed an opportunity to interview one of the biggest stars. When you walk inside that room where you'll come face to face with the star, who would you say holds the power? You, the rookie, or the massive star you're about to interview? Our guest today who knows a thing or two about interviewing some of the biggest names from the entertainment industry says it's always the rookie not the star who holds the power we'll find out more about exactly what he means by that and why he thinks so there are a few good interview shows around one of my favorites when it comes to hindi cinema is sit with hit list hosted by mike shaker you'll hear more shortly on why i like this show but let me just say that i personally find the interviews on this show the most organic which is also our goal here on this podcast where our aims to have organic discerning conversations around cinema and all things cinema i thought it would be great to pick mine's brain on his approach towards conducting interviews mine has been covering films and reviewing films for more than 15 years film journalist film critic author content creator he's done it all recipient of the prestigious Ramnath Goenka award for his work in films and television journalism he currently runs entertainment at midday he joined me on this episode to talk about the craft of the interview print versus video the changing landscape of the business of covering films the state of film criticism and the tricky song and dance with the celeb pr machinery an interview with spielberg or an interview with dipak tisori which one would you pick We agreed that although both would make for great interviews, perhaps the more interesting one would be the one with Tizori. Why? Stick around, you'll find out soon. The business which Mike's in has changed much over the course of the last decade or so. Being an industry veteran, he was able to share the lowdown as well as the bird's eye view. If like me, you're fascinated by all things films, you don't want to miss this episode. Here goes. I've been a long-time reader, and I love your um, interview show. And I'm just glad I'm getting this chance to chat with you today. Would love to Thank pick you, your brain. I've been following your Twitter handle for a while too, and I get to learn a lot. So oh wow! Hear your voice as well. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So, uh, Mike, let me start out by asking you about um, conducting interviews. Now, yes. I've seen all of your uh, sit with hit list uh, conversations. and i really like them and i wanted to pick your brain on your process and your approach uh, towards uh, these interviews and i'll tell you what i'm trying to get out from this um i would love to learn from you you know what would you say is your primary goal when you sit down um with your um, subjects and how do you go about rating yourself at the end of each interview and so forth if you could talk a little bit about that uh, that would be nice so that's a great question i think uh, usually you don't end up talking about what would be quote and quote uh the art of the craft of a conversation but the conversation is really the bedrock of all journalism whether it's political whether it's entertainment or show business or polit i mean or business or any kind of sports um and effectively i think what it entails um and i don't want to sound like some sort of a journalism class but it effectively entails a uh, uh, a situation where the person you're speaking to you're deeply interested in you're curious about uh you want to hear them out uh 
and you would hope that they open up. Now, when you do, and I do a lot, I've done a lot more print interviews than I've done uh, on video. Now, when you do print interviews, it's a lot easier because they're they're not, you know, you know, in front of a device. Uh, a camera automatically turns us all into posers and actors. Whereas if you're just hanging out with somebody uh, in the car, you you know, you you take a walk with them, or you're just chilling with them in a drawing room. There's there's a lot more freedom uh, that you find the person, in, you know, in, in that in that space uh, to be in. Uh, and therefore, they end up opening up a lot more to a point that they sometimes get rattled when they actually read what they said on print. Uh, because, you know, a lot of things that we say, uh, does, you know, you don't understand the impact of it until you actually read it or it's read back to you. Uh, with uh, when you're recording an interview, especially, I mean, whether it's a podcast, as you're doing, uh, Himanshu, or uh, for that matter, if it, with, before camera, uh, I think, uh, the, I mean, what I would, you know, prefer even in that situation, it's to somehow get the person to be at ease, uh, to be able to you know, reveal themselves in ways they've not done before. And I think one of the ways that I've found um, you know, that seems to have worked for me a few times, at least uh, the ones that I think may have been better interviews than others, is not to sit with a piece of paper and not to make it seem like, you know, the person next to you is necessarily an element outside of what any other person would have been. So the way you and I have met for a drink, how we would chat, I would hope that any other conversation or interview goes off in the same format where, the, where everyone else, either if they're in the room, if it's a live interview, or if they're watching it on video, they're actually simply, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, taking a peek uh, into that person's life where that person is opening up to a friend. So it's almost like being in a coffee shop where you're kind of overhearing someone else talking next to you, uh, except that they don't mind it. They mind you. They don't mind you doing it, and they're allowed. You know, they're they're perfectly fine with them uh, with those people actually staring at you. <laughs> Uh, so I, I guess you're uh, saying that the key is uh, to be casual and kind of uh, go the unstaged way as far as possible, correct? As far as possible, yes. Also because I do interviews uh, with people in popular culture, right? Uh, there was a time uh, back in the day, I think about, about, about 10 years ago, or perhaps a little more than that, I, I was commissioned to do a show along the lines of Karan Thapar's Devil's Advocate with people in Bollywood, okay, uh, which is supposed to be adversarial, where, you know, you ask pointed questions, and those replies should have a counter reply, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And it did not work at all. I mean, I felt uncomfortable beyond a point in any case, but also it didn't work for the viewer, primarily because these are guys who don't owe you anything. Then these are not politicians. You did not elect them into power. You know, you know, you're not speaking truth to power in that typical sense as a as a political journalist would or I think should. Uh, so there has to be an element of you know really trying to understand them in terms of how the what they what their belief systems are, what their value systems are, uh, what their life's been like, uh, and of course decode their craft, the art, the reason why we're talking to them because we find them incredibly talented. Uh, also, the reason why we're talking to them is because we love their stories, uh, and and one hopes that these would be stories that we haven't heard before. And how would you go about rating yourself at the end of each interview? Like, uh, is there something that you think, okay, uh, you know, I was able to do this, so I thought the interview went well, or you have a like a mental checklist? Um, I think, I mean, as an interviewer, I would be uh, the first listener of that conversation. And once that interview is over, and here, of course, it you know, video and print doesn't matter. When I'm going home or, you know, there's a whole day ahead. If things that were said to me still stick in my mind, uh, if it's changed my perspective about either the person or certain viewpoints I held on certain issues that we spoke about, or I learned something new uh, and that I can distinctly remember and perhaps even talk about over a drink with a friend in the evening, then I know that the interview has gone off really well. And that tends to happen very often when you actually meet someone for longer form interviews rather than soundbite journalism, where, you know, you wanted a particular answer. You asked that question, you may or may not be, uh, you know, you may not agree with, with the answer or may, may feel that they did not answer well. But that's, but that's not interviewing in that sense. That's more, that's more trying to, you know, look for one answer or, you know, try to probe one particular question. But I think the long form ones where you actually 
sitting and chatting with someone who you most in most cases the reason why you're meeting them is because you think they have great story to tell or you deeply admire them in the first place you i mean most of them actually change your perspective in some form and actually think i think uh, that they should and that to me would be would be a good interview right right because i'm thinking like i know you have done interviews with big stars uh, and you also done interviews with directors and i remember you um, I, i i don't think this was a video interview but i remember reading one of your columns where you spoke with uh, ram gopal verma <laughs> and i'm imagining that that interview would be a lot different than you know speaking with um, akshay kumar or tabu or somebody like that and so the whole kind of um, you know the spectrum of questions or how it's going <laughs> its way <laughs> it's going to no, be no i think, I think ramu is by far uh, one of the best uh, people to interview not because necessarily because you only talk about films and you know there are enough films of his to talk about uh, even if you may or may not love his current uh, body of work but you know he's 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 quite a you know quite a maverick quite a game changer in his own right uh, that apart i think he's a phenomenally um, fun human being who doesn't take himself seriously who enjoys attention like very few people that you will uh, that you will meet uh, and he's extremely generous with sharing um you know including sharing drinks and sharing time with you and you know like taking you to his office and and chilling with you and and i really miss uh, I, i really miss the time all the time that i spent with ramu of course i don't get to meet him that as often now but he, i think he would rank as one of the most fun people that i got to meet in bombay and continue to meet over a period of time of course we haven't in a long in a long time but but again that is much easier to do when you're doing a print interview because you're just chilling with them and you know you go, and and a lot of it can actually become color for your copy now when you switch on a light unless you're do, doing a documentary film on ramun that that will not show and and so i mean uh, so uh, which is not to say that he wouldn't do you know he wouldn't give great sound bites so if you switch on the camera too but i think i think that he's a is a phenomenally um fun guy to hang with and that becomes a huge advantage especially you know when you when you you know we sort of seek out such people anyway uh, that becomes a huge advantage you know because then you can take him to various directions in terms of conversations and what comes out is a, is a is a great copy right right and uh, this kind of personality i'm guessing it's also going to be more open and candid about their um, you know answers yes absolutely i think um, the the you know the the problem with someone being hugely successful and thereafter taking themselves extremely seriously uh, you know and, and taking the success very seriously and why should you not also because you know a lot of things that you say can be twisted and it, you know the whole time that you spend being interviewed becomes uh, you know a, you know a series of various other interviews you need to give in order to defend what you said and stuff like that but at the moment people start playing extremely safe uh, they tend to get extremely boring as well um, but thankfully i haven't had that many uh, i haven't done that many boring interviews um, by and large people have been a lot of fun and and they've been quite generous with with sharing information about their lives the craft you know and anecdotes i think anecdotes really make an interview what they should be i guess what i'm hearing from you is that you know when the person doesn't give a damn it becomes <laughs> much uh, bigger uh, becomes a much more interesting interview and if there's any person who doesn't give a damn it must be ramu so i'm guessing that that's absolutely absolutely now one of the things that i've noticed with your show, show mike is that um all of your guests seem to drop their guard at some point of time and that really makes it uh, a great interview and i was wondering how you go about that what's the secret behind that well imachu um and as correct me if i'm sounding too pompous but i speak for a whole profession i think journalists have a certain superpower and that superpower is something they can harness if they just stick to exactly what the job is which is to be a very good listener and in a world where everyone wants to be heard and very few people actually want to do the listening it's surprising where you can find yourself in situations and i have in a lot of cases especially with print interviews and of course i've not mentioned it because it would be unfair to the person but they you know they burst out crying for instance because they started thinking about a particular incident in their life that they probably not touched before or certainly not done it with a stranger even forgotten for a while because the conversation was going on for for some time that this is actually an interview um and of course one has to be very sensitive about it too and then you know 
go back to them and ask them about if it's okay to print and of course you don't if if they're not comfortable with it but they, i think in in a situation where let's say i'll give you an example of amitabh bachchan right uh, this is if i'm not mistaken 2006 uh i think 2005 or 2006 one of two years it can is very easily googleable is when he you know he had a huge health scare and he was uh, at lilavati for a very long time um and right before he was you know i don't know that like he sent me a message uh, and i can't remember exactly what it cause i sent him a message to check on how he's doing and then like past midnight he sent a message something to the effect of you know i i didn't understand what the line was and and eventually when he got okay is when i got in touch with him we decided to do a long form interview and of course i asked him about what that was and you know it triggered something etc etc but the fact is i may be like all of in my 20s right in my mid 20s this is amitabh bachchan possibly the most famous man in the world and i go into his room and it's him and me and suddenly it seems like i have the power because i am going to be asking the questions it's you know while it's an unequal relationship otherwise it suddenly becomes an equal relationship because it's a conversation where i am interested in listening to that person i don't know if i'm making sense but it sounds a lot like being a psychologist or a or a counselor at at some level because that's what counselors or therapists will do right they actually listen to you and that in itself is so therapeutic that it's good enough so i think i think i think the key might well be to be deeply interested um and and to be extremely curious and i think the and people and and i don't need to just necessarily like you know bracket this or box this into how journalism should be that's that's how i think we should be as people um, in a conversation too it it's bizarre how how often people open up and say the craziest things to strangers um, especially when when they find that the other person is deeply interested and you could, it could be at a bar it could be on a flight it could be you know it could be just at you know at a, at a lobby somewhere or it could be like a like a date and perhaps the first time you're meeting that person but i think i think if you show interest uh, people really do open up interesting i see so what you're saying is yeah uh, so they the it, it it's almost therapeutic like you say and mm. you know if you show a tendency to listen uh they will talk and they will open up so it's important that you kind of project that at least uh you know in a sense where you can make that person comfortable and so that they can really talk about something and open themselves up true uh and also i think uh, if i may add here um and this might be for younger listeners or younger journalists again i don't want to sound like a journalism class but what the hell uh, since you asked me the question <laughs> i think i think also not to be deeply in awe of the person of course you know they're far more accomplished than you than you are of course they're far more talented than you are perhaps they're much older than you are too but you know if you if you let that awe Uh, come in the way of their conversation then i think it puts off the other person too somewhere you need to somehow build a modicum of equality because that's the only way two people can 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 talk to each other when it's equal and and to do that i guess you have to just feel like somebody with a superpower and for that moment a, a really good listener and and a deeply interested person and with a lot of things uh, to learn from and therefore to say exactly what you feel rather than you know like fumbling or or asking stuff like oh how are you feeling and i'm so glad to see you here and i'm such a huge fan uh, i'm sure i mean which is not to say that you should you, you know if that's how you feel you should you should make that known uh, but you should not let that interfere that fandom interfere with what could have been an extremely illuminating conversation for a third person who's listening in right but man it must be tough checking in your fandom at the door especially when you're going to go in and interview someone like bachchan for the very first time or say uh, so even second time um how do you do that i guess i guess you just have to knowing that it's uh, it it's part of your profession and i think if you stay in the profession for long enough then novelty wears off too so it becomes That's... a lot easier with with age and time uh, initially sure sure you know i mean the first time i met bachchan um, which is a long story and you know maybe we can get into it at some other podcast and and some other time which is a crazy story of its own but the fact is that you know he pulled me out from from across the street uh, into his house uh, and then served me thandai and i'm like is this really happening to me and, and my knees were rattling and i didn't even know what we need meant uh, in a real sense so of course that's going to happen to you uh, uh, initially for sure uh, so you may have to like really curb your enthusiasm uh, 
in, in the beginning uh, without doubt. But I think with due, with due course of time, uh, one gets better at it. Uh, and one starts treating it as purely a profession. Um, and therefore, I'm a journalist. And that's my subject, uh, the person I'm supposed to interview. It doesn't matter if it's a Nobel laureate, uh, you know, it's Amartya Sen or it's, it's Amitabh Bachchan, you know. But there are things I want to know also for myself, but far more for the number of people who are reading this or who are watching this. And I'll be doing this service by, by letting all my freaking, you know, crazy fandom uh, interfere with my job. I think this is something that really uh, young journalists, like you said, can learn from. Now, you have been covering films for uh, more than a decade. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more than a decade, almost a decade and a half plus. Yeah. Okay, for more than 15 years. Right. Yeah. Now, you have seen this business, you know, of covering films change in front of your eyes, right? I mean, it, it, it has gone through a sea change and you, mm. you can, uh, you know, you know this uh, better than I do. But uh, we also know that you know, how today almost every step in a star's public life is sort of strategized, orchestrated by a big PR company or uh, an agent. And there is this kind of an encapsulation of these, you know, PR uh, machinery that's taking over. And has that affected the business of writing on films, covering films? And Because I'm thinking it must be difficult to go about your business without being sucked into to become a part consciously or indirectly of this massive PR business? How do you guard against that? Well, true. I think um, it, so we've gone from one extreme to the other, right? So there was this whole generation before mine. So just to give you a slight uh, brief background, Himanshu, so I've had a couple of parallel careers within journalism itself. So one element of it is being uh, an editor, newspaper editor. So I would look into the show business side of it as an editor, where it's a team, this this product we come out with on a daily basis. So, you know, it started with Midday, then then three of us moved out there from there. You know, we, we started Mumbai Mirror, then I went to HD, uh, where I was the national cultural editor, and then I'm back in Midday, where I had entertainment coverage, right? So there you're looking at also aspects which is outside of your own work, which would be the writing part of it, or perhaps even the individual editing part of it, because there is a machinery that you're up against. There is a machinery that you have to interact with because they sort of is, they, they form that big wall, you know, wall of China between, between journalism and uh, the business, uh, you know, or show business as it were, entertainment business as it were, film industry, as one calls it more often. Right. So there is a lot of negotiating that one needs to do to ensure that your stories are accurate, that you try, you, you know, you have your quotes in place uh, and all those things. And there, you know, um, there's a lot of work that, that goes into, you know, making sure that the PR machinery works for you in order to, you know, make your job easier. Right. So there is that aspect uh, which which was very different in the in the generation before mine. Actually, because back in the day, these are the stories I hear about how close journalists used to be to, say, the film stars themselves or the big directors. And they would be whining and dining and pretty much they were the same fraternity. And there was a whole lot of embedded journalism that used to take place, which was great in terms of access, because at least the readers got to know a lot more because it's almost coming from an insider. Right. Mm. To a point now where... Uh, Practically everyone is an outsider uh, because the access has been controlled by an agency, and uh, and I might still be in that, in that still in that cusp between the previous and the one after because I you know I, I you know I have actually worked uh, with these people uh, on an individual basis on a personal basis, so I may still be able to text someone and get that news out or get that information out and things like that or get an interview without quite having to go through a PR agent. But the younger ones are, are finding it more and more difficult. And of course, a lot of it has to do uh, with the explosion in the media scene. So, you know, there were, what, say, few magazines that used to cover entertainment back in the day, uh, in the generation before mine. Um, the mainstream press was absolutely not interested. There was nothing to do with films. So, you know, you basically, coverage of cinema uh, and I, here I mean coverage, we've never really covered cinema in real sense uh, forever, but I mean like fanzines or coverage of, you know, for fans of cinema uh, or fans of cinema stars, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you basically, they were, they were all, uh, you know, 
salon magazines that you know when we went for a haircut is where, where you found those magazines more about gossip them, right and, and a lot of gossip and stuff like that which was all coming from really almost the horse's mouth right but now when you have that many websites and that many newspapers and mainstream uh, new, uh, you know media's interest at least mainstream newspapers interest in in cinema or show business as it were is as high as stardust uh, you know in you know interest used to be or a, or a film fans interest used to be so there's a whole lot of newspapers uh, websites of course a whole lot of tv channels a whole lot of uh, web portals doing videos etc etc so clearly you need some sort of a you know like a filter between the star or between the talent who needs to really do their real job too in order to be relevant enough for anyone to be interested in them and uh, the plethora of media that surrounds them so that that is kind of a cut off the access uh, to to a huge huge extent to a point where you don't know what to believe anymore and that might well be true not just for show business that might well be true for politics too um, you know and various other facets of life that we read about from the press so yeah so uh, that's really the big change that's taken place and i'm not going to deny it's not easy uh, to to negotiate this space uh, and it's also deeply competitive Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's nothing wrong in that big uh, PR machinery. I mean, they're just doing their job, and that's just uh, order of the day. But like you said, they have also become uh, the gatekeepers in terms of the access and how you would approach. And it's just a new song and dance that everybody has to learn um, to and get good at. I agree. I mean, that is the order of the day, and it's not going to change. If anything, it's going to get worse. And uh, whenever I, I cover anything abroad. Uh, in the U.S. or you know, doing stuff for Netflix interviews for Netflix and things like that, I find that you know they are at least ten years ahead in terms of the same graph. I mean, you know, I, I recently met uh, uh, Ben Affleck, and uh, we were what five of us, six of us. We got three minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I mean, thankfully, <laughs> we don't have to go through that here yet, uh, but we might be getting there. uh but that's how that's that's going to be the nature that we, at the same time i think if you're really good at what you do uh and that may be true for any field uh you you to become easier for you to break the rules the set rules as it were so uh, you know so while there is that whole uh you know gatekeeping that happens in the american media too or the british media and you know those stars are are at another another galaxy altogether but let's say if uh, uh, if say tom cruise wants uh, you know wants an interview are done or well rolling stone wants to do an interview with tom cruise then tom cruise decides that neil strauss should interview him which is not to say that neil strauss will write a puff piece but he just likes reading neil strauss so he will ask for neil strauss and for neil strauss is one of my favorite writers by the way uh, and he would he would be very happy to do it so so i think there is still a lot of space to shine even for the younger lot because their work will get appreciated if they don't just just please the machinery uh, if they just don't do a one and a half minute sound bite uh, thing uh, to again please the machinery or you know or be a muckraker for the heck of it sometimes uh, but you know take that job seriously i think uh, the 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 showbiz aspect of it will follow i think they will take you seriously too if you're good at your job you know you're going to somehow or another you know you're going to simmer up to the top and once you do that the rules will kind of change a little bit for you uh, but it's also about like you said good old uh, relationship building like with you know cruise and strauss so if they really trust well, you I, and- again no i i think i much i want to make this clear it's not so much about building relationship because that's uh, that's being somebody chamcha and that 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 will get you no respect you will have to write what the other person wants i think if tom cruise is a fan of neil strauss's writing and neil strauss you know will does not write puff pieces and he would like a really good profile that looks at him from a 360 degree uh, you know overview uh, you know in the same way that uh, say um um Steve Jobs asked for Walter Isaacson. In fact, he, you know, he pursued him over over you know a period of time so Walter Isaacson could write Steve Jobs' biography. And it, you know, of course, it's not a puff piece. I mean, you know, he's bajar the hell out of Steve Jobs when when he need, when he needs to. But you want a good writer to profile you, and I, I think that's what I mean. Rather than building relationship in that in that old uh, you know old world ways of. you know whining and dining and being someone's friends and therefore becoming someone's spokesperson
Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. What I meant by a building relationship is more about a love-hate relationship. Than right, like, right. Because yeah. it's, there are going to be times when, you know, you're going to write or uh, you're going to say something about the person that uh, is uh, going to piss them off. But that's going to be uh, part and parcel of the game. And so long as they understand that there's nothing personal in the sense that you are not, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a vitriol. It's not a direct attack on it's you know a lot of times it's it, yeah it's, it's not it's not vindictive at all yeah I think that and, and if it's not then I think the other person in due course of time will will understand that anyway. Uh, that's a great um, segue for us to talk about the next topic that I wanted to mm-hmm. chat with you about, and that's about film critique and mm-hmm. analysis. Mm-hmm. Now today there are many good critics writing in English today in India, but there is also, I get a feeling, a lot of fluff um, level critique and analysis. And, you know, some people joke that if uh, before, if everything else failed, you could be a food critic, and now it's <laughs> pretty much a film critic. How, how, sure. how would you rate film critic in India today in terms of the quality, the know-how of the cinema? And just because everybody like, like myself can, you know, open up a Twitter account and start talking about films. Well, I think, uh, and there's nothing wrong with you opening a Twitter account and talking about films. As I said, I learn a lot from it. Uh, and please continue to. Um, <laughs> see, there is, uh, I'll give you a brief background in terms of how it all started, or at least from the years that I've been a movie critic, which is roughly around 2003, 2004. Um, and back then, you know, we used to have a screening, a press show, uh, most usually in town. Uh, in town, when I say when I say in town, I mean South Bombay, uh, which is not where the film industry is situated anyway. But that's where most of the film critics used to live around that area. In any case, uh, so they would be at famous studio, which is uh, you know which is in in uh, Mahalakshmi, which is far away from the from where the film industry is, which is obviously Bandra onwards, uh, not not uh, northwards from Bandra. Now, there would be, what, five people, six people. So I used to be the film critic for midday back then. Um, there would be one person from the Times of India. Um, there would be one person from Afternoon, which was another newspaper here in Bombay. Uh, maybe three, four other people, six, seven other people. That's it, right? Uh, and it would be a small room, and that's it. And, and regardless of how big that film is. Uh, okay, so if it's a really huge film, then the, you, you may have to put in a, in a 20-seater, 30-seater cinema, you might have to put chairs on the side uh, because those who don't usually review films, they may want to watch it and they could be editors of those magazines or newspapers or whatever it is, uh, you know, I mean, whatever publication that they're part of. But this is and roughly what really, time are we talking about, Mike? R- roughly around 2003-04. Okay. Right? And... And from from there down, when we have a film, and I'm I'm only talking about Mumbai, and of course Mumbai, I'm presuming has the most number of movie critics so far as Hindi cinema is concerned. Anyway, and perhaps even Hollywood. I mean, they book the biggest uh, theater, like the biggest screen in a in a PBR or something, and you know it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who show up, and and they're all in their own right uh, movie critics. I mean, uh, by which I mean. Uh, or movie reviewers, by which I mean that they, you know, they look at cinema and they comment on it and they perhaps write pieces too, uh, or perhaps they do videos or whatever it is. And so I'm, I'm looking at, I, I, I find that, I find that, uh, that change uh, hugely satisfying personally, uh, because when I started out and because there were such few film reviewers um, and, and, and no one had any information on the film until its release in any case. So the reviews have become far more important than they needed to be in the sense that there was too much pressure to get it right in terms of whether someone should watch a film or not. Because that's really what people wanted to know uh, because there was no other avenue of getting that information on a Friday morning, right? So you would pick up your Times of India or if you're in Bombay, you would pick up your midday uh, and just open it as, oh, two stars, oh my God, it's a shit film. Now, nobody, was, nobody needed to read that in any case because that's the information they were looking for. And it, you know, it turned film reviewing at least to, to, to me personally. And I was way too young. I was just starting out as, as someone who decides on your behalf, right? Whether you, whether you should watch something or not, um, or in a sense is attempting mind control or because you should not catch this because that was never the intention for me to be a film reviewer in the first place. It's right? not about the but influence, it, right? At all, whatsoever. So, but it became a, 
by default that job because there was no information that people had on the Friday morning. And thankfully, with that many websites, with those many social media handles, you know, to a point where there are far more film reviewers now than there'll ever be filmmakers, you know. Uh, there, are far more, there are far more opinion that goes into what has been made than the number of people who will actually put together the film, you know. Um, which is great because then it allows someone who treats, you know, who, who does not see this role as primarily a consumer's role in the sense of don't go to this restaurant, don't eat this food, whatever. That's what consumers do, right? I mean, go to Zomato and say, this is shit, this is one out of four, you know, this is crap or this is great four out of four. And you take an aggregate and probably go to the restaurant or you'll go to that hotel or things like that. There, there is space for that and that needs to exist. And that does now for films, which is fabulous because then... I can just write about, you know, respond to a film as any other piece of writing. It could be a travel story. It could be, a, you know, a, a food review. It could be a profile in the same way a review is me emotionally responding to a film. And while you will get a sense that I did not personally like that film, but if you read properly, you may actually realize that all those things I didn't like it for, you may actually like it for. So you'll actually go see the film because, oh, okay, this guy did, oh, but this is there. And I don't like it, but you will go for him. If the same reasons I may not have liked a film, you may actually do if you read. So it's a conversation between two people, which is what a film review should be. And, and I'm glad that it's reached that. And there are lots of really good film reviewers, I think. Uh, um, let's not get, let's not confuse those, you know, those people who are just like putting out stuff on, on their social media handle with film reviewers. I think, I think film reviewers over a period of time put in a lot of work, um, in order to be taken seriously. And I think we have quite a few of them now. Yes, yes, I agree. I, I think there is uh, certainly some of the young guys who are doing a great job at uh, uh, writing, especially for some of the online portals. True. Now, we're we're increasingly getting polarized, uh, especially on the social media. Uh, you know, I do get this feeling that, you know, even some of the people who are middle of the road, um, they're somehow kind of tempted into, you know, going towards the um, um, polls. And um, it, it's so difficult to manage objectivity when you're, you know, trying to uh, in, in such a polarized environment. As a critique, uh, how important do you think it is to manage your objectivity and um, kind of check in your politics at the door? Well, uh, frankly, uh, well, if you're just talking about film per se, um, and it's always been a thumb rule for me, and and maybe it's it comes out of you know some strange. Uh, sort of phobia of its own, where I watch a film and until I've reviewed it, I don't talk about it. I make sure that there's nothing I've read about it so that what I put out is the most, you know, in its most uh, distilled form, exactly what I feel, because that's really what someone's reading me, really anyone for is your opinion, not somebody else's. Um, and there is no right or wrong about opinion anyway. So, so there is, there is that element, but I mean, the moment you bring, bring social media, I think, I think the much social media to be a bit of a trap and I think the trap here is that it you know it sort of feeds off on likes shares and responses and inevitably regardless of what you're saying if you take a polarized view on any subject on social media you are likely to get far more retweets likes you're going to max responses right yes and it can become a drug of its own where it becomes a personality type for certain people to always take you know viewpoints which are which are contrarian by nature or you know well ideally contrarian by nature because then you'd have trolls then you'll have and you know i'm presuming that just becomes fun for a lot of people or a way of life for a lot of people it certainly brings them a huge number of followers and uh, I think that would also be a death trap for opinion in any form. I think I don't think opinion can always be one or the other. And, and I don't I just don't say this about films uh, because I also cover media hugely or, or pop culture hugely. That's my, where my interest in films comes from anyway. And, and that's one of the things one observes is the fact that, you know, you have to fit into a bracket. Uh, and everyone tries to fit you into a bracket. And there are two brackets fighting with each other. So, you know, you're a libtard fighting against 
abhakt, you know, and while, you know, you could have certain left-leaning liberal values, but you could actually agree with abhakt on lots of other things. But that, there is no accounting for that. There's no space for that. And abhakt maybe, God knows, whatever, you know, whatever his viewpoints may be on, on a lot of things that, that, you know, that everyone else in his group may agree with. But but there may be a lot of things that he thinks about on other issues that may actually agree with the libtard, but there's no space for that. And I don't think social media is... is uh, is ready for any nuance whatsoever. So I personally don't take it very seriously. Uh, also, being in the mainstream media, it's important for us not to be too swayed by stuff on social media because it can very easily game. Uh, there are ways of doing it. Uh, it's not so hard to trend anything. It, trending doesn't mean it's the most popular subject. Trending means that you know you get X number of people to write the same thing in the same minute and it goes up on the charts on Twitter. So so I think it's it's best to to leave that alone for whatever it's worth. And, and not take it too seriously, not beyond the fact that, you know, there's a reason why Twitter gets its name from the twittering of birds, you know. I mean, you can only take take it as seriously as that. It's nonstop, yeah. yeah. <laughs> about the second part, about managing your objectivity and your critique um, uh, in terms of not just um, politics, but also your fandom. Well, frankly, I don't know. Uh, you mean You mean fandom in what sense? Well, if uh, let's say you're reviewing uh, a big film of a big film star that you're a big fan of, and you know you're certainly going to have a point of view which, uh, if the film sucks, you know you might have a point of view to defend. Uh, and how do you guard against that? No, I think Himachu, I, I think it's a big lie that people don't have their biases. I think every human being has their own bias, and you know there are certain there are certain kinds of films that I'm biased towards for instance, and I need to be aware of it, of course. And there's certain kind of, uh, you know, filmmakers that, you know, that, I, that I love more than others and, and things like that. The, the important thing and the only thing to bear in mind, of course, is that one, uh, that bias does not turn into prejudice, right? So it could be a negative bias that just, you're just prejudiced against, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, let, you know, you just don't like this person. It doesn't matter what the hell that person does. And you're just like, you're just pissed off. If that really begins to happen with someone, some person in particular, I think it's best to avoid their films altogether because you could, you should not trust your own judgment. Second right. is, second is, I, um, it's the, the bias also should not get to a point where it's personal, uh, in the sense of, uh, uh, the person being a friend of yours, you know, uh, you care, you're, you're so close to the process uh, in the sense of you're so invested in that person's life journey and their process because you're buddies, then it's best to avoid. I'm not saying that, you know, one is incapable of being objective. Of course you are. And but then why get into a situation like I wouldn't if, if someone was a friend, I would not review it, uh, not because I find myself incapable of it. I just don't trust my own judgment. I may be wrong. These things also work at a subconscious level where we think we're being absolutely fair, but we probably aren't because, you know, it's the person that the fellow is your buddy and you've grown up with a guy or, or things like that. Or, you know, you spend all your time hanging with that person. You will not be able to see it um, in ways that you would be if you, you know, if you watched a film uh, randomly on on Netflix or somebody else. Right. So I think I think one needs to guard against those two aspects. One is uh, the negative aspect where it's turned to prejudice and it's possible uh, and one has to be aware if it's if it's become that uh, and second also if you've become too close and i think best to best to stay off right maybe also think it's it's not right to kind of tag uh, any of the actors or producers or directors in your reviews um you know, I don't know if uh, I, I'm kind of split on that. I mean, it could be, your review could be just as um, you know balanced, uh, and you could tag people on it. But uh, what do you think? Is is that a good practice as a as a as a critique to tag uh, people associated with that project on your reviews? You know, honestly, Imanshu, because I told you I don't take uh, social media as seriously, so I, these are not things that I've thought about, and so I may okay. not have actually made a rule in my head in terms of how one or how, how I would personally go about something okay but i i mean but if but for some reason people only seem to tag and and it's complete their wish and please they should they should continue to but they only seem to tag when when it's, it's when they're praising somebody not quite when they're when that review is negative um so i don't know i don't know how it works but um frankly i would prefer if if people just read it uh but if they, right. but you know but, but why be uh, why be you know judgmental like so, 
Yeah, and why be such a miser with with praise also, man? If you really love something, why not? Yeah, I mean, what's wrong? But are you trying to suck up? I mean, I hope you're not trying to suck up. I think I think because as journalists, we need to keep that distance where we're not we're not part we're not we're not groupies and we we're not we're not part of the entourage. And I really hope uh, that we continue to to remain so uh, because that's what. And and again, I'm not saying it's just true for the journalism uh, that I that I'm far more invested in, which is show business and and entertainment or culture as it were. Or pop culture, anyway, but journalism of any kind. I think I think the moment we become groupies, there's a problem. Any uh, dream interview, Mike, that you haven't been able to get a chance to do so far? Um, not just in India, outside India, that you would love to talk with a person, long form or short form, that uh, you really admire and would like to know more about. You know, honestly, Imanshu, um, that's one thing that I've learned over the years, and. Uh, because i mean you the hit list is the stuff that you watch lately and you know we tend to only interview um what is quote and quote called in the newsroom the a listers as it were but i've done i've done interviews with people who are not so famous and uh, and they have the most freaking crazy stories i think if the idea is to is is to listen to stories uh, sometimes the not so famous actually have the the best stories to tell uh, so Uh, it's never been like oh i wish i wish i could interview steven spielberg uh, as against deepak tejori i think deepak tejori would be just as much fun in fact he is actually a lot more fun in terms of the number of stories he has because you know he was oh, at yes. some point yes i would watch you know I mean? tejori's interview with spielberg because <laughs> oh, i would then i'll definitely shoot one for you definitely <laughs> for sure <laughs> please do you got one you'll be surprised uh, you know to hear some of the nuggets from his life i don't even know whether we can actually air them because they're quite crazy uh, quite nuts yeah, but that, but yeah hard. i think i think it's not so much as uh, being or someone in the such great you know those personalities and i hope i get a chance to meet them and to speak to them of course that element exists and why i would be lying uh, because a whole lot of people will read a spielberg interview and it'll be so much fun to write as well uh, but uh, i think you I, i it surprises me so often that hey man i didn't realize this would be so much fun but this guy is like a dude yeah <laughs> you know right so, right so yeah so i i would i would hope to be most i would hope to be surprised rather than actually go in and a lot of times you go in you know meeting somebody who you would really admire a lot and then fuck is this like you got to be kidding me dude like I, i i don't like him at all as a person so a lot of times really successful people don't make such great uh, people to chat with i mean uh, for whatever reason they don't have to be great people also right so uh, so there is that occupational hazard which i which i learned pretty early on a lot of my um, you know my icons Uh, got slayed, destroyed when I when I finally met them, uh, and shit they said to me, and of course I published all that shit too. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to raise my hopes about any one particular person or people. Um, uh, but uh, to really answer your question, I, you know, I think I think Gulzar would be a lot of fun. I've not met him. Uh, mm. I'm a little intimidated because he's just too deep a person with with so much going on in the whole surreal space. that i don't know whether i'll be able to actually put it all together into a into a great you know one on one conversation javed akhtar is a lot easier because he's very like sharp with the words and you know quick question and quick answer is more sound bitish that way but yeah uh, i think gulzar because i've not met him yet okay gulzar right you know it's interesting if i might digress here for a minute you know uh, i keep on thinking about this and i always imagine what a great interview or video it would make to see um you know just like jackie shroff and anil kapoor sitting and chatting and not knowing that this is going to be you know an interview or something or you know talk with chanki pande or um you know rabina kande yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it would make such great interviews and you know i'm not sure that after it's recorded and everything they would agree to air that or something <laughs> well you know uh, to be fair to jackie though i don't think yes you know he's a good sport uh, yeah and, and it might just be a very non secretary interview uh perhaps going in corner sometimes because that's the kind of guy he is <laughs> um anand kapoor of course is is deeply conscious of what he's saying uh but i don't know you must i don't know if you managed to watch uh the one that that i did recently with anil in sit with hitlist if you haven't i'll send you a link um he was he was quite he was quite candid or i i can i can certainly send you i'll certainly send you is it out yet i haven't seen it on the youtube i i'll i'll look for it and send it to you i'll certainly i, I definitely have the Uh, oh please do i would love to thank yeah. you 
Yeah. So, but then he's an extremely conscious person, deeply conscious of his image, great with his PR. Um, yes, it would be great to find, uh, you know, Anil Kapoor just being Anil Kapoor in the sense of not how we know him. But perhaps, I don't know, maybe he's an extremely sober, somber guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mike. And last, um, this is what I ask all of my guests. A few recommendations. Uh, what what uh, would you recommend um, relatively undersung or relatively uh, unread book and a film or a show? Um, great. Okay, so let's go one by one. Sure. I don't know underrated, but I mean the show that I'm watching currently. I don't know why people aren't talking about it. Uh, is, is Succession, um, which is an HBO series. Uh, great show. Of- yes. Yes, great show. And for some reason, it didn't create the noise or maybe it didn't here. And I'm sure it did in the U.S. because it is an interview series, you know, based on uh, it's slightly vaguely modeled on the Modoc family. Uh, it's on Hotstar in India. So in case somebody's interested in, in catching that in terms of uh, uh, did you say what else you want? A, a uh, film and a book. OK, film. Well, let me go with book. I think uh, um, I'll just because we're going Modoc. I'll stick with, I think Kushwan Singh's uh, uh, autobiography is one of the best I've read by an Indian. Um, I'm just sticking to, to media as a theme, I'm presuming, because it just, it just came to my mind right away. He would make for a great story to tell as well as in terms of a, a series, perhaps, because he's been through some big moments in India's history and being back in the middle as, as a journalist, as an editor, uh, and extremely, extremely honest uh, devil's mech will make an attitude uh, to, towards his life in terms of what he has to reveal. So uh, Truth, Love and a Little Malice, I think, is a fabulous, fabulous book that, that I hope, uh, I, I think people should should read, which I think is only, you know, I think Lucknow Boy came rather close to it too, which has been Vinod Mehta's book. Yes, Again, I love that I book, to read, by the way. Yeah. Yes, yes, fabulous book. I'm glad you loved it, Himanshu. I mean, I tend to read a lot more f- non-fiction because I get too much fiction from, from shows and films all the time in any case. And, and there's a lot of non-fiction work which is great. I mean, speaking of which, because we're talking cinema um, exclusively, I think Nasir's book is a fabulous, fabulous memoir. I don't think any Indian uh, actor, to the best of my knowledge, I think Devanand came slightly close, but not really, has written as good a memoir as Nasir Dushan's book is. Oh, I need to read I'm, that. I haven't, I haven't read You that. must, you must. I think you should pick it up right away. That was great, Mayank. Uh, thanks a lot Thank for um, chatting so candidly about everything. And um, like I said, I'm really glad I got a chance to do this. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll chat again more on some other episode about so many things I would love to talk with you. <laughs> this was this was great, Imanshu. And please keep tweeting. And and, and uh, I, re- I really have begun to enjoy your podcast. Of course, I've just uh, heard one and then I was getting into the second one. But uh, keep it going, man. This is fabulous. Thank you, Mayank. Thank you so much. Cheers. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. I've always liked Mayank's columns and his sense of humor. Glad we could have this chat on the podcast. Here's hoping I can internalize some of Mayank's tips on going about interviews. I think there were also a lot of nuggets here for some young film journals or aspiring film writers. So if you know someone who's a relatively young film journalist, do share this episode with them. They might find something in here which could change their perspective or help them hone their skills. If you are a film journalist yourselves, I would love to hear from you if something specific from this episode resonated with you strongly. Do drop us a comment or a message. If you like this episode and enjoy similar conversations centered around films and streaming shows, do consider subscribing to our podcast. Our podcast is now live on all major platforms. Also, please do review us on iTunes when you get a chance. It will help us out. You can follow me on Twitter at loveofcinemasf8 for podcast-related updates and my tweets on all things movies. See you next week. This is Imanshu, and like always, thank you for listening to the Love of Cinema podcast.